Doctor John Paul on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Another edition of the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WIRL, the spirit of Boston. My name is John Paul, the Car Doctor here to help you with your car problems on this Saturday morning. Uh, we are uh, having some technical difficulties this morning, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to work through those and be able to do what we need to do. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a beautiful Saturday, and, uh, and we'll talk about some of the things that are in the news for the next 90 minutes or so, including there's a it's a great weekend to think about car shows uh, on uh, August 7th at the Lars Anderson Park at uh, the Lars Anderson Estate in uh, in Brookline. Bring your Italian car or motorcycle or simply love the Italian design. They are having the Tuto Italiano uh, car show and that's at the Lars Anderson Museum and that is sponsored by uh, Bach uh, Maserati, McLaren of Boston, Ferrari of New England and Aston Martin of New England as well, and that is uh, they have some beautiful cars that are always there. Day of registration, if you want to show up, it's forty bucks for cars, fifteen dollars for motorcycles, and there's an online uh, discount of five dollars if you'd like to register online. If you want more information, you can just call the museum directly, and they can tell you more and more about that. Uh, the um, I've only been to Tuto Italiano once. And it was sort of an odd thing because I was actually returning a car back to the museum, and I borrowed one of their cars for an event, and or rented it technically, I guess. And it was uh, it was uh, quite the event as it turned out. And when I brought this car back in a trailer, everybody assumed there was going to be some crazy exotic Italian race car that came out of the trailer. In fact, it was a 1918 Baker Electric. So people are a little bit disappointed, I suppose. But uh, it was still, it was still a really, it was a, it was, it was a great event. I stayed there for a while, and it isn't just about the cars. It was about food. It was, it was just a really good time. So if you are, if you are hanging around someplace tomorrow and you're looking for something to do, take a spin over to the Lars Anderson Museum, and also check out the new exhibit at the museum as well. But check out Tuto Italiano. That's a good event, and they have lawn, they have lawn events almost every weekend uh, right through the fall, and they have some great events there. Next weekend, uh, August 14th, at Herb Chambers, they'll, uh, Herb will host his fourth cars and coffee events of the season, and this is going to be at the Lexus uh, Hingham dealership. And this time he is going to have on display his Mercedes-Benz 300 SL Gullwing car, and that is a beautiful car. Uh, and Herb, uh, Herb shows up. His collection isn't that as big as it used to be. He's actually kind of cut back a little bit on some of his cars, but this is a beautiful car. It's certainly worth taking a look at. And the other event that's taking place today is at the uh, um, Hebert Candy Mansion up in Shrewsbury, and that event is the, uh, is the Bug Club event. So if you're a fan of air-cooled engines... Volkswagens, Corvairs, dune buggies, things like that. Check out what's going on up at the uh, Hebert Candy Mansion. I think that's running from 9 to 2 today, and that's a great event. And those are fun cars, and those are, the people who like those cars just have a really good time with them. So it's certainly worth you know, checking out and seeing what's, seeing what's going on there. Again, it's sort of car show season, so certainly worth seeing what's going on and checking out some of the various things. 
Speaking of car shows, this is a little bit different, but Amazon has revealed details on how U.S. customers can join Jeremy Clarkson, Rich, Richard Hammond, and James May for a once-in-a-lifetime experience at the studio recording their new program called Grand Tour, the guest list for the brand-new Amazon Original Series premiering this fall on Prime Video opens today, enabling customers to apply for exclusive tickets to the tent recording taking place in Southern California in front of a live studio. Amazon.com customers can apply to be in the audience of the recording studio from uh, 9 a.m. And this uh, came out just uh, yesterday, I guess. And uh, it, the, the registration is open until midnight on August 8th. Uh, they said they're overwhelmed with customer response to our first studio tent recording. Uh, which they did in uh, South Africa last month, and they're excited to announce the next location of Grand Tour, uh, according to the VP of Amazon Video Europe. The guest list for application of our California recording is open today for a limited time, so get in quick. The Grand Tour will launch in fall 2016 exclusively for Amazon Prime members and will be available via Amazon Video apps for TVs, connected TVs, including Fire TV, mobile devices, online at Amazon.com Originals. For a list of all the Amazon Video-compatible devices, you can go to Amazon.com backslash how to stream, and you can keep up with uh, all the news on Twitter, Twitter.com. The Grand Tour at Amazon.com. The Grand Tour. The Grand Tour joins Prime Video's uh, lineup of award-winning and critically acclaimed TV shows and movies, which includes series like Mr. Robot, uh, Downton Abbey, The Americans, Orphan Black, the Amazon original series and movies from Amazon Studios like Transparent, The Man in the High Castle, uh, the kids series Tumble Life, and Love and Friendship, so Prime members can choose the streamer download Prime Video so they can kind of keep up with everything that's going on there. So if you're a fan of the old Top Gear show, you can check it out and see what's going on with that. So so uh, what happens when cars aren't safe anymore? Uh, well, according to Mark Rosekind, he's the head of uh, NHTSA, and we've had him on the show once before, the auto industry has a tendency to lean heavily on technology solutions to improve safety, but changing human behavior must also be part of the uh, the picture. Mark Rosekind, administrator for the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, said the agency's long-term goal is to get to zero traffic deaths in the U.S. from the 35,200 that are um, that happened in the past year. In the auto industry, we're always looking at changing the behavior because changing the human would be really hard. But he argued continually improving safety technology must go hand-in-hand with improving driver behavior to decrease traffic fatalities. The technology doesn't always work, and humans aren't always perfect, but I think the combination of the two could get us to zero. The administrator prepared remarks touched on a number of familiar themes, ending competition between automakers and suppliers on safety, speeding uh, the um, technologies across the fleet. They're, they're hoping everybody can work together. Rosekind said the relationship between NHTSA and the auto industry must become more proactive. However, he said the agency still wields powerful tools to bring a- bad actors in line. We have a really big stick, according to him. I know where it is. I know how to use it, but I'd rather work with people to do things to proactively include vehicle safety. He referenced recent collaboration, such as an agreement among 20 global manufacturers to implement automatic emergency braking technology across um, 
all makes by 2022 is evidenced by the collaboration uh, that's more effective than regulation. I agree. I think uh, collaboration is always better than regulation. The goal, Rose kind of said, is to uh, deploy effectively safe technologies, including autonomous vehicles, as quickly as possible to reduce traffic technology. Uh, technology can work. Uh, during the question of the presentation, Rose kind of said, the sharply increasing traffic fatalities in all except one region of the country are largely the result of more miles being driven as a result of lower fuel prices, a rise of motorcyclists, pedestrians, and bicyclists. When I asked him why uh, fatalities went up over last year, his answer to me was, I don't know. He said, I'm not sure. I don't know what the real answer is. Um, and I guess now, you know, the, uh, the assumption is it is because of cheaper gas prices, more people driving and things like that. And he even said, yeah, that's the gas, but we don't really know. There are also concerns about calls to prohibit auto registrations nationwide of vehicles that had open recalls because such a prohibition might have an outsized impact on everything that's going on. I talked to an electrical engineer uh, back a few months ago at a presentation I did, and he feels that there is an issue with autonomous vehicles, that people are going to get too reliant on them, and in fact, where you really count on the vehicle to avoid a uh, crash, it may in fact not do that at all. What it might really do is uh, run into something when in fact a skilled driver could uh, could keep that from happening. So we'll have to wait and see how that all works out. We are going to be uh, talking about a couple of cars uh, today, and that is uh, the Honda Accord Hybrid and the Mercedes CL, uh, CLA, the small Mercedes. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And um, one of the things that, uh, you know, occasionally I get uh, people pitch ideas and things, and um, a company wrote to me with a wireless parking sensor that you can install in about five minutes. He said, I saw you wrote about cars. I wanted to share how FENSENS, F-E-N-S-E-N-S, is disrupting the car industry where people typically uh, have to call on a car guy for installing new technology. The product just launched on one of those crowdsourcing websites today. It's the world's first easy-to-install parking sensor for any car. Uh, they outfitted a 1969 Carmen Ghia, so kind of an interesting car to do it with, with wireless parking sensors using our smart license plate frame in five minutes. With no wiring, we simply de uh, designed the sensors into the license plate frame and connected it to a smartphone via Bluetooth to transmit hands-free audio, visual, and vibration alerts to the driver. The best part about it is that it goes on almost any vehicle and is up to 120th the cost of other alternatives that require a professional install a similar wired system. Um, it's an introductory price of about 100 bucks right now. So I asked them if they would send me a sample to try out for a little bit. I'm kind of interested to see how this works. And as more people are using... Um, Bluetooth technology to make things work, uh, we'll have to see what happens. Also, I read the other day that people are using Bluetooth technology for bad things. And if you don't know what Bluetooth is, that's the ability when you use, if you have a phone, and it doesn't have to be the world's smartest smartphone, but if you have a, if you have a phone and you, um, you want to check and see or you want to connect it to something like a hands-free system in your car, whether it's a 
whether it's a built-in hands-free system or like the one I have in my car, it's just an add-on in the in the rearview mirror. It connects wirelessly to the device. And there's all kinds of different Bluetooth style. There's Bluetooth speakers. There's all kinds of ways to be able to get back and forth from your phone to the device and back again. So it's uh, these devices are, are pretty interesting. But I read recently that people are stealing credit card information now in gas pumps. So they're breaking open, cracking open a gas pump. They're putting this uh, credit card skimmer. And prior to this, what happened was people would add these devices to gas pumps. You would scan your credit card in the gas pump, and then they'd come back a month later or a week later, whatever it was, take the device out and then download all the credit card information. Now what they're able to do with Bluetooth technology is they wire in this credit card device into the gas pump system, and then they sit eight or ten feet away somewhere, and they monitor all of the credit card information. So people are using Bluetooth for bad things, too. So... Uh, be aware of that. My advice to people is if you are charging gas at the gas pump with your credit card or debit card, uh, at least look for a gas pump that has a seal on the mechanical part of the pump where you would enter the credit card information that, you know, I'm sure it's only a you know, short time before someone figures out, well, I'll just make up a whole bunch of seals, break open the pump, and then reseal it so it looks official. But... Um, Look for the seal. At least that's some reassurance that somebody's been there and looked it over. Money Incorporated um, came out with their top 10 luxury cars of the 50s, and it was kind of an interesting group of cars. And this is moneyinc.com. And it said the, the 1950s saw great changes in the automotive industry coming just after World War II. Automakers brought up new styles and technology, making some of their brands exclusive luxury vehicles with some standing the test of time until today. Car makers brought in a variety of styles missing from earlier car concepts. For example, in, 19, in 1950, automakers were keen on making convertibles while also retaining the hardtop styling. In 1951, most car makers concentrated on producing four-door sedans while introducing automatic transmissions. In 1952, saw the longest stoppage of car production in the world since leading economies like the U.S. were experiencing nationwide strikes in the steel industry. Despite this, power braking was introduced a year later. Use of power steering and air conditioning systems in cars came in 1953. 1954 to 56 saw the most auto manufacturers concentrate on making cars safer. For example, the Autotronic Eye, which could automatically dim high beam lights, uh, when oncoming cars were approaching, came to use. By 1957, most vehicles had been fitted with some form of automatic transmission. In the late 1950s, saw Volkswagen become one of the most popular cars in the world, and Chevrolet making striking changes in the rear-end styling of some of their vehicles. Ford came up with luxurious Continentals, while Oldsmobile completely redesigned its body. Uh, it's interesting that the um, device that dims your high beams we're starting to see that come back. In fact, the uh, Honda Accord that I'm driving now has the ability to have automatic headlights that go on high beam when the road is dark and automatically dim at the very even sense of an oncoming vehicle. So if you're taking advantage of high beam lights, and you should if you're having a little trouble seeing at night, uh, it's, a, it's a good way to do that. So what, is, so what did they say? Well, uh, number one, the 1957 Chevy Bel Air, nicknamed 57 Chevy, the two-door convertible saw upgrades from 
1950 when it was first made available. However, in 1957, General Motors made several striking changes to its design and even advertised as the hot one. It incorporated a Ferrari-inspired grille. I don't see that somehow. An interior carpet, chrome spears on the front fenders, uh, stainless steel window moldings, as well as full wheel covers. It has a super turbo fire uh, gas engine. Uh, you could even get it with fuel injection. It also had a two-speed power glide automatic. I don't remember the 57 Chevy having fuel injection, but um, and it also had an automatic transmission with park reverse, neutral drive, and uh, and a low range. Uh, by then, it was America's most recognizable car, making it a number one car for uh, the rich and enthusiasts, according to the people from Money here. At the time, the car had a sticker price of $1,800. In 1953, they liked the Buick Roadmaster Skylark, uh, built to mark Buick's 50th birthday and the engineer behind it. Uh, This high-end convertible from General Motors was selling at $5,000, so almost three times the price of of the uh, 57 Chevy. Its production began in 1951, coming with two doors and sharing its drivetrain with the Roadmaster. It had a very beautiful shade of reef blue against two-tone red and white interior. It had a Selectronic AM radio, full carpeting, power brakes, power windows. Much of its external looks were handmade, trunk lid, convertible tub, and hood were housed. And they had the uh, nailhead V8 engine. And it actually had a 12-volt electrical system, a little unusual for the time. Its seat frames and steering column were lowered a bit in order to provide proper headroom. It also came with the Skylark Center emblem. Uh, Money also liked the 1950 Jaguar XK uh, 120. It had a double overhead cam cylinder engine that produced 160 horsepower, which was a big number. Today we laughed at 160 horsepower. Um, it was extremely quick, capable of sprinting to zero to 60 in under 10 seconds. Again, we would laugh at that for being so slow. It was originally priced at $4,000. A 1955 Chrysler Imperial selling at a stratospheric price of $15,000, the Chrysler Imperial came with an internal combustion V8 engine with Hemi heads. The uh, V8 produced 180 horsepower, making an extremely efficient luxury vehicle during that time. Power brakes and power steering incorporated into the car were standard. Imperial with its wheelbase, uh, which was bigger than the standard car, provided more backseat uh, legroom. The front egg crate grille was widely spaced. And it had a freestanding gun sight taillights, is what they call them, installed in the rear section. Uh, the gun sight taillights doubled as uh, uh, sparrow strainer taillights, hence keeping the birds away from the uh, jet engine design, I guess. Uh, one of my favorite cars, a gigantic car in my mind, the 1956 Continental Mark II. It made headlines between 56 and 57 of one of the most luxurious vehicles of its time, selling for a staggering $10,000 in June of 56. It came as a four-place coupe, uh, luring the wealthiest Americans into buying this Ford Motor Company vehicle. Its interior had standard leather upholstery, air conditioning. It had a six-liter V8 engine. It made 285 horsepower, and uh, it was just, it was it was a really, really nice car. It reminds me of just a uh, a T-Bird of the time on steroids, just a, a beautiful car. 
1959 Cadillac Coupe de Ville, undoubtedly Cadillac's one of the most classic cars who ever existed in the world. You remember you know, when you had, you know, a Cadillac taste in a beer budget sort of thing? Uh, or, you know, that's a Cadillac style of vehicle, or, you know, that's the Cadillac of something or other. Uh, too bad they don't quite say it that way. Um, it's a V8 engine, offered uh, lots of horsepower. It was originally priced pretty reasonable at $4,600. Uh, number seven on the list, a 1952 Bentley R-Type Continental. Uh, it remains one of the most popular luxury cars in the post-war era. It's flashy. It's lightweight. It made instant horsepower from its uh, uh, engine, 130 horsepower. It was actually capable of 101 miles an hour. The engine was mated to a four-speed manual transmission for better driving experience. And number eight, 1956 BMW 503 Cabrio. Um, that's... Uh, BMW's first post-war sports car. It came with a V8 engine, according to this. Power. Parts of the bodywork were made from aluminum, and the 2-plus-2 two two seating arrangement was a little unique for a sports car. The car was iconic in, of indulgence and luxury thanks to the excellent driving experience. It also had standard brake servos. Um, a, gear ba- a gearbox made it directly to the engine. The gear lever was a stick on the floor, not a gear shift on the steering wheel, which others had. And in number nine place, the 1955 Mercedes-Benz 300 SL. The first SL stood out for its goings. It was also the fastest car in the world in 1955. It was the first to use direct injection technology, uh, built using welded aluminum tube space frame engine in order to drop the relatively underpowered carbureted engine. It also um, aimed at making the car lightweight to produce a high level of strength. The design is tilted away the steering wheel for easy access, a lot of new features. And finally, in number 10th place, the Pontiac Chieftain Catalina Coupe, uh, according to uh, the folks at Money, Inc., the 1950 Pontiac Motors uh, working under General Motors design, the Catalina Coupe, uh, had interesting features. It included a radio with seven vacuum tubes, tissue dispenser, underseat heaters, uh, a Remington Auto Home Shaver, which was an option that I never heard of before. Um, it, uh, it, got, it had eight-cylinder power. Uh, it uh, had a gas gauge, an ammeter, oil pressure gauge, temperature indicator for marks with 160, 180, and 220 degrees. The coupe also introduced a red light used in reminding drivers to turn off their parking brake. May 1952 saw popular mechanics the car magazine rate the coupe at 14.9 seconds for a zero to 60 time. Its original price was about $6,000. Well, why don't we take a quick break? My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Dread the car buying experience? Would you like to save time, money, eliminate stress, and positively know you got the best deal possible? Welcome to the ultimate buyer experience from the professionals at the Car Consultancy. With over 20 years of car buying know-how, 
Ira and his team will create a great car buying experience for you by negotiating and handling all of the details from start to finish. For more information, go to thecarconsultancy.com or call 800-280-3517. That's 800-280-3517. Looking for incredible zip lining and climbing adventures in the treetops? Come on down to the ICC in Canton and visit Treetop Adventures, Greater Boston's number one zip line and aerial challenge park. There are 10 trails located up in the trees with over 15 zip lines and 100 plus aerial challenges. And they're designed to accommodate everyone from beginner to expert. Fun for everyone. Visit treetopcanton.com to book your treetop adventures today. That's treetopcanton.com. Have three ex-wives and your current trophy wife wants a life insurance policy three times the size of your previous mistakes? Relax and call Big Lou at Term Provider. Big Lou says if you're in your 50s in reasonably good health, a $1 million term life policy should only cost about two to 300 bucks per month. Call Big Lou at 800-352-9239. Remember, Big Lou's like you, always looking and medicating too. Call 800-352-9239. Paid non-attorney spokesman. Attorney John Sheehan, Los Angeles, is responsible for this content. This ad is not legal advice. Choice of lawyer should not be made solely by advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Have you had surgery in the last 10 years? Did your doctor implant a filter or umbrella to trap blood clots? Please call 800-888-8888 now. The IVC filter may move or break, causing serious injury. Please call Salino and Barnes now. 800-888-8888. IVC filter patients may be entitled to compensation. 800 do you dread the car buying experience? Would you like to save time, money, eliminate stress, and positively know you got the best deal possible? Welcome to the ultimate buyer experience from the professionals at the Car Consultancy. With over 20 years of car buying know-how, Ira and his team will create a great car buying experience for you by negotiating and handling all of the details from start to finish. For more information, go to thecarconsultancy.com or call 800-280-3517. That's 800-280-3517. WROL Boston. You're listening to The Car Doctor. engineering change in the sports car 
uh, ever, I guess. The Corvette, one of General Motors' uh, oldest nameplates, continues to attractively uh, attract attract uh, mostly older buyers. Uh, the paper said the automaker is eager in switching the mid-engine layout to attract younger customers. Uh, mid-engine cars typically have a weight advantage over front-engine cars, in part because the drivetrain is more compact and placed more centrally in the car. Chevrolet declined to comment on the news report. Bob Lutz, who retired as the head of global product development in 2010, told the news, the company management approved plans for a mid-engine Corvette in 2007, but said the program was scuttled under GM's government-led bankruptcy in 2009. The latest plans for a mid-engine Corvette are being championed by GM's current head of product development, uh, citing a former GM employee with knowledge of the project. There have been several reports in Car and Driver and other media outlets in the past two years speculating about revived plans for a mid-engine Corvette. Well, the Corvette has been... GM's premier performance vehicle for decades, a switch to a mid-engine layout would entail a major overhaul to the current car uh, where almost no parts could be carried over because all of the major components of the mid-engine car would be in different locations. Switching from front to mid-engine layout would entail engineering a new chassis, creating new transaxial, uh, transmission and axles to drive the rear wheels, according to uh, some sources, developing a new cooling system, air conditioning, and suspension. So essentially a completely new car. The Benji Corvette would give GM a true competitor to Ford's upcoming GT supercar, which no one's going to – I shouldn't say that. 500 people, are, I guess, are going to be able to buy that car, including um, somebody who's been on this program before, Kyle Bauer, apparently got the letter in the mail which said he is a, he is a qualified buyer and he's going to be able to buy the car for half a million dollars. Um, and um, we'll have to wait and see. So, uh, two hundred. So, mid-engine Corvette. We'll have to wait and see what really happens. Uh, time will tell. Let's talk to Tom. Good morning, Tom. Hello, John. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Okay, good. Everything's great. Okay, okay. My, uh, my cousin was working on his car yesterday. I went to see him, and it's a 2006 Ford van, like in a corner line. Yeah. Small yep. V8. Problem is, starts up fine. Idle's fine. When it warms up, you take off and you're, you go to stop, stalling out. You uh, uh, went to a couple of different people and they, you know, really couldn't find what it was. And then somebody said an alternator, which is mm. But I did see something online about that. So we did change it. It didn't change anything. It it made no difference. We had the radiator. We had everything up. We checked vacuum lines up as best we could, tightened yep. all of that stuff. Really so ex- explain it to me again. It starts up just fine. You put it in gear, it idles just fine. It, at cold, yeah. When it's cold, yep. and then when it reaches normal operating temperature, you're, you're you know you're up. At, you go to the stop at a light, after, and yep. it just dies if you take your foot off the accelerator. You can keep it running if you keep, you know, the gas pedal up. But the idles dropping down below a thousand, and it just stalls. And what year did you say this van was? Two thousand six Ford. Yeah. It's a van. It comes yeah. Behind. Small. Yeah. I don't know the leaders or whatever, but it's yeah, small. that's fine. The um, when you look at things that cause stalling when the engine's cold, you have to look at you have to look at things that are that only come on when it's cold. And one of the things that only comes on when it's cold is, for instance, an EGR valve. So it's not cold. It's stalling when it's. I mean, hot. I mean, it only come on when it's hot. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, so you have to look at things that say, 
well, okay, what what doesn't work when the engine's cold, and what does work when the engine's hot? Right. So you start you start to look at you start to look at things like that, and you go, well, um, well, one of the one of the possibilities is you know let, let's look at it and say, well, it doesn't it doesn't have you know, it doesn't. Uh, if it was a carbureted engine, you'd and you know the the thoughts are still the same. If it's a carbureted engine, you you would look at you know is it a it, the choke comes off and is the fuel pump not able to do its job? Well, it doesn't have a carburetor; it has fuel injection. So what works? What works when some things are hot that don't work when things are cold? One of the things I would look at is the EGR valve. The EGR valve is a vacuum control device and it's a temperature control device. And if the EGR valve is operating at an idle when it shouldn't, when the engine is hot, it's going to act like it's got this great big vacuum leak mm. and it's going to make the car stop. Oh. So I would look to see whether the EGR valve was leaking. Uh, and you can kind of tell when the engine's warmed up and it doesn't want to run well, take a can of um, like carburetor spray and spray it all around the EGR valve and see if the engine idle picks up. When it stalls, does it stall like it's flooding out, or does it stall like it's uh, just stalls and shuts off? I think it just more or less dies. The idle just yeah. starts to decline, and it yeah. and it dies. I don't think it's like electrical, like abrupt. Yeah. It just dies. Okay. No. And when it, when, it, vacuum. Yeah. when it restarts, does it just turn the key and restart it? No problem. Yeah, from what he said. Yeah. Uh, not much, yeah. but, you know. So it uh, doesn't sound like it's flooding over. It sounds like it's a lean stall, and that's... And that would lead me to believe it's an EGR valve problem of some sort. Right. Now, that's uh, I've researched them in the past. So this sort of externally mounted. It could be anywhere, though, huh, on these engines. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, normally, normally what happens is an EGR valve is mounted somewhere where you can, you know, where you can sort of, well, if if it wasn't a van, I would say you can sort of get to it. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's usually it's usually mounted, mounted on the uh on the intake manifold somewhere, and it has a it has a tube that usually goes to it on some Ford products. But it, like I said, that's that's kind of where where I that's one of the areas that I would be looking to try to try yeah. to see where it is. And it has an electrical connection that goes to it too. So it's okay. it's a fairly complicated little thing. But yeah. if it is, but it if if it is leaking, it's going to cause it's going to cause a fair amount of problems with. Uh, with how it runs, especially how it runs when the engine warms up. Right. Didn't they have some problem? Like I remember some years ago with something with one of them, and it would carbon up to something. It was something. Yeah, they would carbon. What it is? It's a it's a, it's an interesting looking valve because it's um, it's a a metal shaft with a with a fairly heavy valve inside of it, and it has to seat up against a a tapered seat. And oh. carbon can build up, and it will hold the valve open. Oh, so but, it's an actual valve, yeah. almost like an yeah. valve. So it's a, yeah, it's an actual yeah. style of a valve. So, right. so that can be, you know, that can certainly be part of part of the problem. And and that's kind of where I would I would yeah. look for things that would cause a lean stall. And yeah. the EGR valve is just one of the more obvious ones that would cause it. Right, because it runs fine. Any other be on the expressway, no problem. This yeah, yeah, because then because then the EGR valves work in the way it should because up it above idle speed, that EGR valve is going to open and close a whole bunch of times to, it, what it does is it lowers the combustion temperature in the engine a little bit so the engine doesn't tend to knock and ping. So when it sits in an idle, it's supposed to shut so you're not recirculating that bad air inside the engine that wants to make the engine stall. So again, I'd look at the EGR valve.
Now, there's one other thing I'm going to have them do, and I figure since we have the air cleaner, pull it off, is spray down the throttle body. Now, you have to – now, can you use – is there any special type? You know, I want to spray the throttle body, but I know like the, the, uh, the map center and stuff, you're not really supposed to clean or something. You could do damage to it, you've said in the past. Yes, yeah, some some you can clean, some you can't. It depends. Some they just some of the map sensors, for instance, uh, uh, you know, map sensors don't really map sensors are vacuum control. Uh, you're you're probably thinking of the thinking probably, of the other one, right? Yeah, 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 and those you have to be a little cautious of because you don't, you know, that stuff's pretty caustic. But the throttle body, the throttle body cleaning that, uh, you know, they they you know finally come out and they've changed the name from carburetor cleaner to throttle body cleaner. It's the same stuff. Okay. So right. yeah. yeah, I just so oh, yeah. get it get it good and clean. Can't hurt. The other thing is there is an idle control solenoid. Yes, I'm familiar. That is, yeah, that's supposed to you know go open and close and keep the keep the car in an idle. That will also cause stalling if the things if the things stuck in carbon up too. So you can actually take that idle control solenoid out, clean it, and put it back in and see what happens. Yeah, I've actually had that problem with my own old and I yeah. that, and it worked fine. I just stuck it back in, right? Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that's yeah. good. Yeah, we've got a couple of things to go after then. Yeah. But you know what? what's funny, though, is several shops now that work on vehicles said that with these vehicles, an alternator can cause that problem. And I just, I, I can't understand it. So we actually changed it. One guy almost yeah. guaranteed it. He said, oh, I've seen this with alternator. And I actually went online, and I saw there was something about that. What would they alternate? I mean, yeah, I mean, if the alternator is making enough noise and feeding back to the ECM, I suppose mm-hmm. it could. I guess um, with the sensitivity yeah. of electronics, anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe, but that's yeah. about it. Yeah. Well, anyways, thank you, John. All right, all right. Good luck, Tom. Yeah, you too. All right, all right. take care. Bye bye. Six one seven six six one seven Seven seventy thirty thirty. Let's talk to Rick. Hey, Rick. Uh, did you forget the phone number? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. But yeah, you know, and, and it's you know, I'm I'm uh, need to apologize a little for the quality of the program today. We're having some technical difficulties. I was all excited to you know broadcast from home today, so I didn't have to uh, you know take it a couple days off. So I was. Uh, but yeah, the technology gremlin has come back to haunt us, I guess. So. Oh yeah, that's happened more than once with you. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, my wife and I are having a disagreement, uh, just a friendly one, and about driving. One of us says that uh, if you're going down a hill, you know, and you can take your foot off the gas and you can coast and you'll save a little gasoline just by using momentum of the hill and stuff like that. Uh-huh. The other one says he really isn't saving much at all. Um, the when you take your foot off the gas and coast, you are saving a little bit of gas because, depending on the car, when the throttle closes, it sends a the throttle position sensor sends a signal back to the computer that says shut off the fuel injection system, don't deliver any fuel. But you still are using energy, and any time you use energy, you, you use fuel. Uh, back in the, uh, you know, if you talk to an old truck driver, and they used to be, and it's even in a, it's even in a song, uh, it's, you know, they refer to something called, I think it's called the Georgia Overdrive, and a Georgia Overdrive was putting the truck in neutral and rolling down the hill to save gas. Um, 
so I don't recommend putting cars in neutral. Uh, but if you take your foot off the gas and coast a little bit, you may save a smidge of gas. Sure. Not 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 appreciable. Hello. So sure, maybe a I'm little listening. bit. George, hold on. So Rick, what do you think? Well, uh, it, it, <laughs> in other words, we agree to disagree. Yeah, that was yeah. Just one and that. Yeah, okay. I don't. I don't think you know. I don't think you're going to save. I don't think you know people that hypermile. People that really try to. Save, you know, save every last ounce of gasoline. They'll coast down hills. They'll put the car in neutral. They'll push it to get it going. You know, all of that, you can, you know, you can take a car that gets 30 miles per gallon and get 70, providing you want to be the slowest car on the road. But like I said, just taking your foot off the gas actually does shut the fuel injection system off because it does send a signal back to the car's computer to shut the fuel off. So you are shutting the fuel off, but, you know, you're, you're still... You're still rolling. You're not using a lot of energy. And at the bottom of the hill, for instance, if you need to accelerate to get moving, you have to decide whether that acceleration is actually going to use more gas than it did, keeping your foot steadily on the gas and anticipating the hill coming up. Okay. That's well. where sometimes fuel. That's where sometimes cruise control saves you money on gas on a flat road. But cruise control can't anticipate the hill coming up. So when you try to maintain that 60 miles an hour, all of a sudden that big hill comes up and the cruise control pushes the gas pedal to the floor because it's trying to make up for what it didn't know was coming in the future. So in my opinion, a good skilled driver who anticipates the roadway is probably just as efficient. Okay. You got time for another question? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I know I asked this one before, but I didn't hear the answer. Um, I was down in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, a few weeks ago, and they had uh, red detour signs and blue detour signs and green detour signs. What do they? What are those type of detours? Are do you have any idea? I have no idea. I have no, no idea. Yeah, and you know, there's certain and you know, colors of signs generally indicate what you know what that sign is designed for. So, for instance, when you see a when you see a, 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 a brown sign, it indicates there's a it's a it's a you know state campground or federal yeah. landmark or something like that. When you yeah, see, I know that I know yeah. that's for the yeah. system, but they actually yeah, had but, yeah, you know, a red seen, detour route or a green detour yeah, route. Yeah, and that. yeah, I haven't seen detour signs and colors. You're, you're gonna have you're gonna. I'm glad you called me because you're gonna remind me to do some homework and find out find out why you know why they're doing detour signs in different colors. Uh, well, generally, detour signs are yellow and black, and just say, you know, they're an advisory to go in a certain direction. So, yeah, well, this was a, you know, a specific route in that, like, you know, if you, I don't know if you had, um, if you have LNG in your tank, you had to do the red detour route, or if you oh, had, you okay, know, uh, you know, if you had um, food, you had to take a green detour route or whatever, and that, you know. Huh? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do a little research. I, you know, I. You know, in between little projects I'm going to be doing at home this week, I'll do a little research and find out find out if uh, I can I can come up with the answer to uh, to why detour signs are in color. And you could be you could be you know absolutely right on the money if you know you can't if you have LNG you can't go through a you can't go through a tunnel. You know if you have something else you know there's you know those re- it could be it could be that. But uh, we'll do a little checking and find out. Well, you said you're taking some time off, Annette, so uh, I don't know if uh, doing homework for your part-time job would be a good idea. 
well, you know, it, uh, it's it's uh, we'll, we'll 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 talk about it next week. Okay. Okay. Dan, okay. Have a good one. Bye. All right. Thanks, Rick. Bye. Bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. George on the line. I think we have uh, George with us. George, good morning. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. I have um, two quick oil-related questions. Okay. Um, I don't want to say the brand name, but there is a synthetic oil that says that they're derived from natural gas, and um, I was thinking that you know coming from a cleaner source, that that would be beneficial to the motor. What do you think? Um, you know, it's probably derived from fracking, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, I think, especially synthetic oil, has to meet an absolute uh, stringent uh, specification. So I'm not sure that necessarily coming from natural gas makes it any better than uh, oil that comes from old dinosaurs or not. So um, I don't. I think it's really how it's processed more than where it comes from. Although that being said, they may have to do less work to make it a better quality oil. So what brand? Yeah, it's okay. What brand was it? Uh, it's called Pennzoil uh, Pure Platinum. Okay. Yeah. You know that's their top of the line. That's their top of the line motor oil. Um, I don't. You know. I think. I think as much as not. I think it's probably easier for them. It's probably a little bit more expensive for them, but it probably requires a little less refining at the end of the day. So it may actually. It may actually be a, a little bit of a. a, a it maybe a little bit of a cost savings because they're doing less work for it. And on the other hand, you end up with a quality product. I think anything. My opinion is anything that says synthetic has to has to meet a minimum quality of synthetic um, specifications. And a, a listener to this program explained synthetic oil to me in a very simple way once. He said, the difference between synthetic oil and conventional oil is all about the molecules. And in, in a conventional motor oil, the molecules are all different sizes. In synthetic motor oil, the molecules are all the same size, which is why it pumps up quicker, it lubricates better, it lubricates quicker, it's more resistant to problems and helps maintain the engine a little better. And what he described it was, he said, you know, go to a pool table, get a uh, two-by-two-foot sheet of plywood, and throw a bunch of different size balls on the table, pool balls, basketballs, footballs, soccer balls, and then roll the piece of plywood on top of it, and you'll get the impression what conventional oil is like. He said, then just put six pool balls on the table, roll that same piece of plywood on top of it, and see how nice and easy it rolls and rolls back and forth. That's synthetic oil molecules. So um, I think just meeting that synthetic oil specification is the key. Okay, and I have um, a quick uh, question sure. also. I have yep. a 2008 Toyota Highlander. Yeah. And uh, with a direct injection, I was wondering um, if you would um, add uh, an old CAT scan to this car and how much would that cost to put in? If I would add a what? I'm sorry? The oil, you know, a CAT scan that everybody's doing? Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, I would just I would just leave it, leave it the way it is and let it do its job. Okay, thank you so much. Okay. All right. Take oh. care. Bye-bye now. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030.
if you want to talk to us about your car, and again, I apologize a little about the quality. We're we're uh, not able to use our fancy equipment because we're having some fancy equipment problems. I don't know. So, but we are trying our best here, and Karen's doing a great job back in the studio, uh, balancing calls and doing everything she's trying to do. Uh, Kelly's there helping her, so we'll uh, we'll do the best we can. Uh, you want to buy a Lexus? Well, Lexus shoppers are warming to the no-haggle, no-handoff sales model. Uh, less stress test is what they're calling it. When customers come in to shop at a Lexus, uh, uh, Lexus of Omaha, one of the test labs for the new sales process called Lexus Plus, salesman uh, Jeff starts off by running through the program's concept statement. It assures them that he alone will take them through the entire purchase and explain why the dealership's prices are non-negotiable. He then lets the customers decide how to structure the rest of their visit. They can start with an appraisal of their trade-in or a test drive or comparisons of different models, whatever suits them best. For each vehicle, a label on the window, windshield shows customers the sticker price, factory incentives, and additional discounts that go uh, into the final no-haggle price. And IS sedan with a sticker price of 46494 recently carried a no-haggle price of 40719 If the buyer wants to walk out because of the policy, he reiterates that the quoted final price is indeed the final and won't change later. Some customers leave only to return after doing more research, but the vast majority, it never comes to that. They're happy as heck, according to Jeff, the sales guy here. The fear level is gone. The anxiety is gone. Lexus executives are convinced that this is a better way to sell cars, and they're betting on it is a, to further differentiate the Lexus brand from its competitors, but rather forcing the change on skeptical dealers, they're rolling it out as a voluntary experiment in the hopes that it will spread organically to more than the 236 Lexus dealerships. Why shouldn't it be easy to buy a car? That's been always my answer, Why or always my question. Why should it be more difficult to buy a car than it should be to buy a toaster? Uh, so I, th- I kind of like this idea. This is Lexus of Omaha is one of the 11 dealerships involved in the Lexus uh, Plus pilot program. Brand executives thinks it's a better way to sell luxury cars. So uh, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Uh, some of the other interesting in the news: uh, diesel defeat devices, similar to what uh, Volkswagen was using, apparently used more than you think. Normally, companies prefer their news released in bite-sized morsels. Uh, no longer than the page. So when the media leveled allegations against emissions fraud against General Motors European unit, the nine-page response detailing GM's position hinted at panic. It was titled Statement of the Adam Opel AG on the current diesel discussion, but one of the Germany's leading newspapers suggested an alternative headline, the longest denial in history. Opel's response typified the wariness of automakers swept up in the emissions controversy that has engulfed Europe's diesel industry since the U.S. EPA discovered the fraud in Volkswagen. Ongoing reports reveal uh, a reality that might surprise those outside the world of powertrain engineers and regulation. Defeat, defeat devices gained prominence thanks to Volkswagen, which used such software to turn off its emission controls outside the government testing. But other automakers in Europe make liberal use of officially sanctioned devices in uh, Diesel vehicles that spew nearly as many toxins as the Volkswagen. The result is that even though Europe has mandated a radical decrease in nitrogen oxide or NOx emissions over recent years, the use of these devices, essentially software code embedded in the engine control unit, means real-world emissions are considerably worse. The variety of euphemisms such as 
engine calibration, and acoustic function thermal window, or in the U.S., auxiliary emissions control devices, describe conditions under which the car makers may minimize or switch off their expensive exhaust treatment system uh, in the name of guaranteeing mechanical durability. A recent investigation of 53 diesel models by Germany's transport ministry discovered uh, broad use of legal defeat devices. For example, officials found the 1.6-liter diesel engine in the BMW 2 Series emitted more than five times the legal NOx limit on the road. The 1.5-liter diesel engine in one of Renault's cars limited uh, 13 times more than the ceiling that the uh, European Union um, uh, mandates. So part of the reason the defeat the Defeat devices are widely used in Europe, traces back to a loophole in the European Union emission laws. In Europe, the law gives automakers wide discretion to use defeat devices to protect the engine or safeguard the vehicle. So they're saying, oh, we need to safeguard it, so we have to be careful, and there are times where there's just going to be an issue. So, hmm. Nissan is adding a single-cab version to its Titan. So if you thought the four-door Nissan Titan was too big, they're coming up with a single-cab version. In 2017, the Titan single-cab will be named the Titan XD single-cab. Simple enough name. They're scheduled to reach U.S. showrooms late in in the fall. This is where we see a huge opportunity they've never been able to see before, according to Rich Miller, Nissan's product planning director. SUVs and commercial work vehicles, this is a basic work truck. Uh, it's a contractor, the welder, the guy with the generator in the back. The Titan, redesigned for 2016, eventually comes with three cab configurations, single crew and future king cab, and three bed lengths, three engines, five trim levels, so you can get the really fancy one if you want. The Titan XD cab will be equipped with a Cummings V8 engine, uh, turbo diesel, or a 5.6-liter V8 gas. The Titan single cab, which has a shorter wheelbase than the XD, will come with a V8 gasoline engine only, but a V6 engine will be added later. The single-cab version of the Titan, a rugged but affordable entry-point work truck, represents Nissan's biggest step divide for the U.S. commercial truck, uh, dominated by the Detroit 3. It's interesting, even uh, Toyota with the Tacoma has basically a work truck version. The Tacoma, I think there should be more of that. The version of the Titan plants a flag in the ground, and we're here to compete for the full-size business, according to Nissan's Folks, Hyundai's coming out with a hot hatchback, if you're interested. Hyundai Performance Division, which sounds kind of funny when you describe it that way, uh, is uh, close to fielding its first production model for the U.S. market. The 2018 Elantra GTN features lower-profile sporter styling and a standard compact hatchback. Hyundai's answer to the Volkswagen Golf and Ford's Focus ST. We'll have to see if it's their answer to the RS. The Elantra GTN likely will be powered by a turbocharged four-cylinder engine and feature a more dynamically tuned suspension. It's expected to reach the U.S. sometime next year. Uh, I had the opportunity to hang out with the McLaren folks a couple weeks ago at New England Motor Press Ragtop Ramble, and uh, McLaren Automotive's uh, CEO uh, said the British supercar makers need to downsize its V8 but ruled out a four-cylinder option, so expect the V6 as part of the hybrid powertrain. McLaren announced a hybrid plan this spring as part of the strategy to develop 15 new models by 2022 at a cost of a billion dollars. But the company gave no indication of the size or the cylinder count. They said the new hybrid power plant could have the emissions compared with the current entry sports sedan V8 
They'll be launched by the end of the decade. If there are no electric vehicles, then yes, we'd, we'd get to four cylinders, but I actually think EVs are at the end of the journey. Is a game-changing electric uh, supercar set to go on sale around 2022, said a hybrid power was technology needed in the uh, medium term to comply with some of the emissions requirements. And if you have, again, a whole bunch of money, Mercedes-Benz will announce a convertible version of its AMG GT sports car in 2017. There's some spy shots of the vehicle around, so it's worth taking a look at. Why don't we take another break? My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. Uh, it's about 9.26. If you would like to join us, our phone number is 617-770-3030. We'll be right back. Boston Catholic Academy is an urban elementary school serving 300 students preschool through grade 6. They instill the gospel values of Jesus Christ while creating a family-based atmosphere and achieving academic excellence. Being located on East Broadway in South Boston makes South Boston Catholic Academy an ideal choice for working families in and around the Boston community. Take a listen to what Principal Nancy Carr has to say. Children come into the school as early as 7.15 and are at school until 5.30 to help those families who are working in downtown Boston or in the seaport area and surrounding areas to be able to have the opportunity to drop off their children for everything that South Boston Catholic has to offer and then pick them up at the end of their workday. Be sure to find out more today. Hi, I'm Nancy Carr, the proud principal of South Boston Catholic Academy. I would love to extend the invitation to take a tour of our school. You can give us a call at 617-268-2326. Or visit our website at sbcatholicacademy.org to schedule a tour. Do you dread the car buying experience? Would you like to save time, money, eliminate stress, and positively know you got the best deal possible? Welcome to the ultimate buyer experience from the professionals at the Car Consultancy. With over 20 years of car buying know-how, Ira and his team will create a great car buying experience for you by negotiating and handling all of the details from start to finish. For more information, go to thecarconsultancy.com or call 800-280-3517. That's 800-280-3517. Looking for incredible zip lining and climbing adventures in the treetops? Come on down to the ICC in Canton and visit Treetop Adventures, Greater Boston's number one zip line and aerial challenge park. There are 10 trails located up in the trees with over 15 zip lines and 100 plus aerial challenges. And they're designed to accommodate everyone from beginner to expert. Fun for everyone. Visit treetopcanton.com to book your treetop adventures today. That's treetopcanton.com. Honda Cars of Boston is Greater Boston's neighborhood Honda dealer with over 800 new Hondas available to choose from. Just five minutes from Boston on Route 99 in Everett, our beautiful new showroom makes your Honda Cars of Boston experience even better. Visit online at hondacarsofboston.com and see all of our tremendous purchase, lease, finance, and certified pre-owned specials. Honda Cars of Boston on Route 99 in Everett is the place for great buys from the Honda guys. Give them a call at 1-800-65-HONDA. WROL Boston. Now, let's get back to the car doctor. 
and welcome back to the Cardinals program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. My name is John Paul, the car doctor here, broadcasting, well, less than desirably over my cell phone. Um, although even that's not a regular cell phone. It's a, I have a little microphone plugged into it, headphones plugged into it, so at least I'm not having to hold the phone to my head for 90 minutes. But we're trying to do the best we can. We had a little technical challenge back at the studio. I guess there was some stuff. I don't know. But anyway, we're trying to do the best we can, and I think we have Charlie on the phone. Charlie. Hi, John Paul. How are you, sir? I'm still breathing. There you go. Me too. Uh, a couple of years ago, two years ago exactly, I had my air conditioner uh, refilled because it was very low. Yeah. Uh, now the two years have passed. The air conditioner is blowing cool air but not cold again, which means I got a slow leak. Absolutely. Right. So it's going to cost me about a hundred bucks just to pump it up again. You know, but there's this uh, super mechanics in Peabody said they've had a, a, a couple of compressors freeze up because uh, running them running them when they're low like that, they have a tendency to freeze up. Is that true or what? Um, if What happens is a low-pressure switch that actually shuts the compressor down when it doesn't have enough refrigerant in it. So not unless the switch is bad, I don't see that happening because – what happens? I mean, the only thing that lubricates the compressor is the oil that's trapped in with the with the Freon stuff. So, um, so if the, what happens when the pressure drops down to the point where the compressor doesn't want to, where it shouldn't cycle anymore, it just shuts the compressor off. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. According to them, they they thought it was because there was uh, very little oil in there and it overheated and seized. Up. Well. Yeah, I mean that will that will happen if the low pressure cutoff switches are working. And sometimes what people do is they'll disconnect that switch for God knows what reason. And uh, uh, yeah, so but no, if the if the system's working the way it should, the low pressure cutoff switch yeah. comes into play. It says there's not enough pressure; it shuts the AC off, so you don't get any AC at all, and it doesn't damage the compressor. That's the whole point. So I can get by with it. It's not as good as I'd like to have it now that you know if this. 90 degree weather, if it goes away, it'll be fine. You know, I can get by in 80 degree weather with it. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, uh, you know, I think maybe just you, you got to get through a few days this week and it'll probably be fine. Yeah, but I don't want to spend hundreds of dollars to find a leak and fix the leak and. Yeah, and and that's and that's really what it's going to be. It's going to be you're going to spend. You know, you could have you could you could go to the you could go to a pot store and buy a buy a little kit for 40 bucks. And add a little bit to it, and watch the little gauge. They give you a little gauge system, and that's going to put some stuff in it, and it's going to bring it. It's going to bring it up a little bit, and it's going to be okay. But you know, in you, you hate to do it for just you know a few more warm days. Yeah, right. I tried that two years ago, and I couldn't get the the stuff to go in there for some reason. But with oh. the high powered system, they pump it right up, and yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The way they do it then is they actually put the system under a vacuum. So it actually, when you do it, you're taking low-pressure gas, putting it in right. the intake of the compressor, and it sucks it in as a gas. Right. What they do is they put the system under a vacuum, and they just pump in liquid liquid refrigerant on the high side and just fill it up to the right amount. But, well, as long as there's no 
it won't seize up and screw up the no, whole I, 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 I don't. I, if the system's working the way it should, it should never seize up. Yeah, it should no. never seize up from not having enough refrigerators. Yeah, no, I call Firestone. They're talking $150 just to check it out and all this baloney. And, I mean, they'll do an excellent job, Todd. By the time I get out of there, it's going to be two, three hundred dollars $300. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and 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 I I would feel better about spending three hundred dollars in June than I would about spending three hundred dollars in August. Well, this will be my last year with this with this car anyway, so I don't want to put any more money into it. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Charlie. Bye. 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 Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. I pulled an interesting uh, story out of Triple uh, A today or yesterday, and it says with the average new car price around $30,000, vehicles are clearly a huge investment. Yeah, the average transaction price now is closer to 33000 Want to get the best deal and while still getting a vehicle you want? Research is the key and proceed slowly. Ask yourself these questions. How much can I afford for a down payment? How about monthly payments? Is buying or leasing a better choice? Do I want a new or used vehicle? What should I do with my old one? Sell, trade, donate, or recycle it? Well, recycle, I guess, if it's really bad. Should I buy from a dealer, private party, or other seller? Last year, more than 80% of Americans who bought new cars did online research first, checking automotive reviews by experts, using the online loan calculators, comparing similar makes and models, finding safety ratings, and getting insider information on dealer invoice pricing, trade-in values, and rebates. Uh, AAA.com slash autobuying is a resource that you can check out. Uh, so how much can you afford? Determining how much you can afford should be first step in buying a car. Consider the down payment, monthly payments, insurance, taxes, fees, and operating expenses. Negotiate for a vehicle and financing separately. When it comes, when you have an idea how much you will need to borrow, if you have to borrow, uh, don't assume all loans are created equal. It pays to compare. In addition, uh, check with your credit union, check with online lenders, check with us at AAA. We have really competitive rates. Uh, make your down payment as generous as possible. This reduces monthly payments and the interest on your loan. If you don't have good credit, you'll need a larger down payment because you won't qualify for the lowest rates. To calculate monthly payments, you need to know the vehicle price, down payment, interest rate, loan terms, the number of months, value of your trade-in, any cash rebate you can put towards a down payment. Um, the, lo- the loan term and interest rate determine how much you'll pay for your car over and above its price. Uh, interest is spread all over the life of the loan. It varies from month to month. In comparing the loan offers, remember the federal law dictates that lenders must clearly define the annual percentage rate and the total amount of interest you have to pay. As an alternative to traditional car loans, you may be eligible for a home equity loan or a line of credit at lower rates. Then those can be kind of an attractive option as well. So how about shopping for a car? Buying a vehicle is all about supply and demand. If you want a convertible, today's not the good day to go for it. If your taste runs towards all-weather four-wheel drive, when the snowplows are working overtime, probably not the best time to go and buy it. Uh, so let's look at opportunities. Seasonally, experts say the best time of the year to buy a car during the last two weeks in December and to a lesser extent between July and October because people are waiting for the new cars. Uh, Car lots are often nearly deserted during the winter holiday season. I remember I went shopping once at, uh, I think it was, I think I left the radio station on New Year's Eve, and I happened to stop at a local dealership, and I was just, I wasn't all that serious about shopping, and the salesman came out with the latest rebate offer, 
as I was getting in my car and going away, the latest rebate offer, what they paid for the vehicle, and if they and what their holdback would be if they got a couple more vehicles sold. It would have been a great time to buy a car. I just wasn't quite wasn't ready yet. So bonuses are set up to reward salespeople who meet extra uh, or exceed their quotas. So shop at the end of, end of the month. You can get a hungry salesperson. Or you can call the guys at the car consultancy, and they'll help you too. Um, Iron is a uh, team over there. They do a really good job of making all this easy for you. Best time of the week, dealerships do the most business on weekends. That can work to your advantage or disadvantage. Arrive at a dealership on early on Saturday. There might be a bonus to somebody who sells the first car. Sunday afternoon, same deal, weekend quota. Um, take your time. The salesperson will want to close the deal with you and move on to the next prospective buyer. Uh, so do you buy or lease? This is a, this is a, a very common question now because leasing can make sense for people that don't drive a lot. Do you see do you see a huge gap between the manufacturer's suggested retail price and your preferred monthly car payment? Well leasing could be your answer. Payments will help lower you uh, when you lease because you're paying for an extended rental contract. In effect you're paying for depreciation plus financing. Leasing can work to your advantage, but be careful, fully investigate dealer costs and incentives and expect to pay a hefty initial payment, sometimes called cap production costs. That isn't always the case. Sometimes you don't have to put much down. For a 24, 36-month uh, term of lease, you, should, you could drive a more expensive car than maybe you can afford. However, when the lease is over, you won't have a vehicle to keep or trade in for a different model, although you can certainly buy that, and that could be a good possibility. Over the long term, purchasing a car is cheaper than leasing, Providing you keep it forever, cars depreciate the most during the first two years, and that's the minimum term of most leases. You might be able to pay over three years to buy a $30,000 car, possibly spending 5000 or more than you would if you lease it, but after three years, you would own an asset worth about 19000 I talked to somebody the other day who bought a, who, who leased a 2016 Honda CRV, the small sport utility, for $199 a month. I think it was $2,000 down, and at the end of three years, he can buy that car for $16,000. At the end of three years, that car is a really good deal at $16,000, especially if, as a used car that he took care of, he knows what's wrong with it, he knows what he did to it, that would be a good value and say at the end of three years, hey, I'll take out a, I'll take out a used car loan, and I'll go with that. So it can, it can be a real advantage. I think we have Scott on the phone. Scott, good morning. You're on the Car Doctor program. Hi, how are you? Good. I had a question. I have a 1990 uh, Mercedes 300 SL. Yep. And the car sat for about a month, and it, when I went to start, it wouldn't start. Um, I put my um, my jumper cables on it with the um, with the battery charger. Yep. And once the car started, after about I don't know, a few seconds, I went to take it off. And when I went to take off the cables, the car shut off. Come to find out that the negative cable where the copper meets the the um, um, the, the, the clamps, it, yeah. it it was loose, and that's the negative side was hot. Now, okay. to start the car, it will turn, but it clicks. It clicks. It doesn't, you know, you can hear the motor yeah. turning over, but it won't, it won't catch. Hmm. I hate to say it, but you may have done some damage when you pulled the cables off. Yeah, that's what because that what we have found, especially uh, we have a whole set of rules now when it comes to jump starting a car. 
because what we found is some cars, uh, a lot of the German cars, are very sensitive to voltage arc. So when you go to take the cable off, as you pull the cable off, you think it's 12 volts, but that can actually arc up to 20 or so, and you can do some damage. So you may have you may have actually popped a fuse or burnt out a relay or something. That's going to require a little bit more investigation to find out what it is. Okay. Yeah, but it's not unusual to see the 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 main fuses burn out, disconnecting the jumper cables. Yeah, and the negative was really hot. So yeah, was, and if the negative is really hot, that could be it too. So I guess what I'd start with is you know clean up everything, tighten up everything you can. Fully charge the battery before, you know, take a little battery charger, fully charge the battery, get it right up to full, and uh, crank over and see and see what you got at that point, whether you've, you know, lost fuel or ignition, check all the fuses, check all the relays, and then kind of go from there. There is a there is a main uh, relay that, that controls, uh, controls the fuel pump, among other things, and it could be you're just, you know, you could have just damaged the relay. And if that's it, that's not really expensive. Okay. Do you have time okay. for one question? Sure. Okay, 1996 uh, Chevy Corvette. Yep. It has the ASR light and the service light comes on. But when you start the car, it's not on, but when you touch the gas, it comes on. Hmm. Hmm. Um, generally, and the the uh, generally that's tied into, I believe, tied into the ABS brake system. Okay. Yeah, so um, I would have to do a little bit more research on that to figure out what that is. But uh, that is uh, um, because uh, I think ASR is uh, automatic stability response or something like that, right? Right. Yeah. So there hasn't been any work done to the steering system, has there? No. No, because it it, it can also, if there's a, um, there's a, Steering angle sensor that can be that can be a problem too, but uh, but you said it was what year Corvette? Nineteen ninety six. Yeah, well, you know, stay stay listening. We're you know we'll we'll be taking a break in a little bit. Let me see if I can do a little quick research and see if I can come up with a little bit better answer. Thanks, I appreciate it. Okay, sure thing. Cold that might come up. All right, Henry. Henry. Yeah, why don't we talk to Henry? Then why don't we take a break? Uh, Henry. Hi. Good morning, John Paul. Good morning. Hey, uh, I noticed with uh, my automobile insurance premium uh, being renewed that they jacked the price up maybe about 10%. Did you notice that when you renewed your premiums? Uh, I, I didn't notice it on mine. I did notice it on my wife's car. Um, yeah, I, I, but I haven't. I haven't heard of. Uh, I haven't heard of a reason. If anything, I thought insurance rates were supposed to be going down. Yeah, uh, I was, you know, saying to myself, geez, John Paul giving us good advice about leasing and buying cars. What does John Paul do when he goes to shop for car insurance? <laughs> well, you know, I work at AAA, so I don't have any choice. I, you know, I buy my insurance where I work, so. Oh, uh, okay, so they got yeah. over a barrel. <laughs> well, you know, and, you know, well, you know, I've, I've been at AAA for 32 years now, so, uh, so when I, when I, uh, you know, it. You know, for me to when I have a question about my insurance, I just walk across the hall to the insurance department. So right, yeah. So that you know, so that that saves me a little bit of work. You know, I, I know it pays to shop around, and you know, I was talking to a guy, and he said he got a really good deal from uh, insurance being sold through the Costco operation. 
Yeah, I, you know, there are there are some deals. I mean, you look at some of the online deals and, and you know, see, you know, see what's out, you know, see what's out there for prices. It always it never hurts to shop around. All the insurance companies are getting competitive because what used to happen, um, you know, way back, way back when in Massachusetts, there was no competition. You know, everybody had to sell insurance for, for basically the basically the same price. So, but now, you know, now that's that's a lot different, and there is competition with you know the Geico people and you know the you know Liberty Mutual and you know all all of those. So yeah, um, so it makes sense to shop around a little bit and see you know see what's out there. Did you hear about the guy that uh, started a company that's like the Carfax for car insurance? Yeah, I, I haven't heard of that for a while, but yeah. And up in New Hampshire, this guy's got a startup company. He got a big grant from the state because it's such a good idea. It's called ValChoice.com. And uh, he had all this great car insurance. And when he had an accident, they were still tucking him with a big $100,000 hospital bill. Jeez. So he got uh, fed up and did his research because he's a computer expert and started his own company like a Carfax for car insurance called ValChoice. It rates the company on how good they pay and whether they pay or not, or whether they fight you or not, and it gives you a rating on it. Well, it, you know, it makes sense that you know somebody should come out with something like that. You know, it's uh, you know, it. Uh, I'm surprised somebody didn't do it sooner. I, I'm 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 disappointed it wasn't me. Yeah, keep that in your ticker file, voucher. Yeah, I know. Um, well, I'm gonna have to check that out. All right, well, keep, keep all right it safe. All right, thanks. All right, take care now. Bye-bye now. 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back. Uh, maybe I'll have a little answer to ASR questions. We'll be right back. Sullivan Tire is proud to be New England's tire headquarters. And right now, during our sizzling summer tire sale, you'll save big on quality Yokohama tires. Yokohama tires, known for their impressive tread design, durability, and handling. Stop into your local Sullivan Tire now through August 18th and check out this amazing summer special. Buy three, get the fourth Yokohama tire absolutely free. That's right, buy any three Yokohama tires, the fourth one is yours free. Remember to stop in for our thorough factory-scheduled maintenance check and let our ASE team of experts keep your car running right. We do it all. Brakes, batteries, mufflers, transmissions, engine diagnostics, oil changes, that all-important air conditioning service, and so much more. Head to any of our 68 locations right now and save big on a tremendous selection of Yokohama tires. Buy three, get the fourth Yokohama tire absolutely free. Offer ends August 18th. See SullivanTire.com. Peace of mind driving. You deserve it. We provide it. Honda Cars of Boston is Greater Boston's neighborhood Honda dealer with over 800 new Hondas available to choose from. Just five minutes from Boston on Route 99 in Everett, our beautiful new showroom makes your Honda Cars of Boston experience even better. Visit online at HondaCarsOfBoston.com and see all of our tremendous purchase, lease, finance, and certified pre-owned specials. Honda Cars of Boston on Route 99 in Everett is the place for great buys from the Honda guys. Give them a call at 1-800-65-HONDA. 
At City of Boston Credit Union, they believe paying for college shouldn't be as hard as going to college. So they're making it easier with a range of local education financing options designed to meet the needs of students and parents. And because they're member-owned, they treat people how they want to be treated, like people, not credit scores. City of Boston Credit Union, uniquely Boston. Visit cityofbostoncu.com to learn more or to apply. Equal opportunity lender, all loans subject to credit approval. Do you dread the car buying experience? Would you like to save time, money, eliminate stress, and positively know you got the best deal possible? Welcome to the ultimate buyer experience from the professionals at the Car Consultancy. With over 20 years of car buying know-how, Ira and his team will create a great car buying experience for you by negotiating and handling all of the details from start to finish. For more information, go to thecarconsultancy.com or call 800-280-3517. That's 800-280-3517. WROL Boston. You're listening to The Car Doctor. minutes left at 617-770-3030, ASR light on on the Corvette, uh, two possible issues. If there is no codes, uh, more than likely it could be a problem with the wheel speed sensor. If there are codes, and if you uh, did get a code 28, I'm sorry, if you did get a code 28, and you can, and you can actually do a little self-diagnosis um, I found a, another uh, link on YouTube. So look up Corvette ASR light on YouTube, and it tells you how to go into the uh, display system. So if you get a code 28, it indicates a problem with the uh, wheel speed sensor, so it's not seeing the right frequency. And a little bit of rust or a chip or a tooth that's broken can do that. Um, so uh, you can you can look at that. If there are no codes set, then the problem could be a, one of the quad drivers inside the ECM. Uh, so that that can be that can be another that can be another issue. Uh, I would also you know check you know things simple things like fuses and so forth. But uh, but more than likely, it is a it is probably an issue with this uh, vehicle speed sensor, and uh, you can you can you can find that uh, if you are going to do it yourself. Uh, you know, go uh, go get a subscription to uh, All Data Online, or maybe even order a, a manual. I think will help you do a lot of the diagnosis yourself without too many problems. But uh, that's that's one way to go. Our phone number is six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Let's talk to Mike. Michael. Yes. Good morning, John. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Good, not bad, sir. Thank you. Again, thank you for all your service. I appreciate all the information that you give. Um, John, I know you were going to talk about the uh, Honda Accord Hybrid. Yes, sir. And um, a couple of questions, if I may. Do you know offhand, does that have the blind spot monitor in the left outside rearview mirror where the light will come on, or do they still have that extra mirror there that kind of gives you the wide angle? Yeah, it still has the extra mirror. In fact, that. I let somebody drive the car the other day, and they said, oh, is the mirror broken? 
Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, it has that little inch and a half wide, slightly panoramic view. And they don't have – it's odd that a car that has a blind spot monitor on the right with a rear view camera doesn't have a blind spot light on the left side. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing, too, is um, do you know you talk about this. Does the car have a spare or is it a spare option that you can put in there? Is the fact that it's the hybrid you don't have that option? Uh, it has an air compressor. It does. Okay. And But – I, I was looking at it the other day, and I was thinking that by the time you take the styrofoam out where the air compressor sits and lift up the cover, I'm willing to bet you can you can fit a space saver spare, at least a mini spare in there with no problem. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. A lot of the – you've mentioned this before, that that's one of those options that, you know, you can trade in the compressor and right. put the money towards a spare, you know. Yeah. In spare. fact – in fact, I had a guy email me the other day about a 2016 Chevrolet Cruze, and it only had the air compressor kit. He he liked the car okay. He hated the idea it didn't have an, didn't have a spare. He went back to the dealer and said, "Hey, you know what? What can we do about this?" They just gave him a spare. They took his, They took really? the air compressor kit. They gave him a spare and wanted him to be a happy customer. So. Yeah. You know, John, we've talked before about, you know, a good adjustment of the mirrors, in, in your opinion, is a is the way to go. But, you know, I, I just find it interesting, like you mentioned, that the left side doesn't have the light and the right side gives you the option, you know, through the uh, screen on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. I find it weird, too. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I asked this... one of the salespeople, and they said the Honda Pilot has that on the left side. Now, whether he you know, misspoke or something, but I yeah. was thinking it would be kind of curious that the pilot would have that option and they wouldn't put it in something like the Accord, you know, so. Yeah, and, and the Accord hybrid comes with every advanced technology system there is. I mean, you can, I, I'm not saying you can drive this car with no hands, but you can drive this car with almost no hands because as it drifts out of the lane, it will shake the steering wheel to let you know you drifted out of the lane. It will also kick the car back over to the middle of the lane it will slow. It will warn you if you're about ready to run into somebody. It's got smart cruise control, so you can set the cruise control at 75, even though the traffic's only going 55. It'll maintain that distance and safe speed all the time. It's got that right side uh, uh, driver system, so it's got every bit of technology you can possibly imagine, but it doesn't have a left side blind spot monitor. Yeah, it's kind of puzzling when you think yeah. about it, but may, may I ask you another question, sir? Sure, um, go ahead. The Hyundai Ioniq, I'm not sure that's the proper pronunciation, the, hi, the hatchbacks that are supposed to be in direct competition with the Prius. Yeah. Have you had a chance to either see one, try one, or... or no, I, other than other than I've read a little bit about it, I don't, they, you know, other than they're saying it's, you know, that we're going to be a true competitor with Prius, I haven't, I don't know anything about it. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Yes, All right, thank you very care. much for your time. Yep, yep. bye-bye. Thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. And I and I, I really owe, owe it to everybody to kind of go over this uh, Honda Accord review. I'm sorry I didn't. The latest Honda Accord uh, can be ordered as a coupe, a four-door family sedan, and seven trim levels powered by a four-cylinder engine, powerful V6, or in the case of our test model, a hybrid touring sedan. Uh, there has been a, a Accord hybrid in the past, but it was discontinued for 2016. Now the drivetrain is completely redesigned for 2017. It's a two-motor hybrid system made into a two-liter four-cylinder engine. The combined horsepower of the drivetrain is 212 and promises fuel economy of 49 city, 47 highway. 
uh, on the road, this latest version of the Hybrid Accord delivers seamless performance. The hybrid uh, drivetrain is completely transparent, never letting the driver know there is a boatload of technology under the hood. Performance is quite good with the continual variable transmission that seems well-suited to this hybrid setup. Although, like many CVT transmissions, sometimes I felt I had to accelerate a little harder to get the performance I was looking for. Fuel economy was outstanding. My onboard computer calculated mileage readings averaging 49 miles per gallon. The ride was a little on the firm side, but wasn't harsh. The overall handling was quite good. Not something most people would expect in a green hybrid. The steering's electric, a bit vague at times, and delivered what I would describe as a simulated road feel rather than actual road feel. Not bad, just a bit artificial. The hybrid version of the Accord comes with all the latest high-tech safety features. I've mentioned those. Our touring model also had the front and rear parking sensors, auto high-beam headlights, and again, missing the left side line spot monitor. All of these systems uh, place this sedan one step closer to fully autonomous driving. Don't drive. Drive. Don't let the car drive. The interior of our cord was rather plush and luxurious. Uh, heated leather seats that were comfortable and supportive. The controls were generally simple. With the exception of touchscreen infotainment, I just hate it. Like many cars, uh, it's just frustrating to use. Even though the steering wheel mounted controls helped, I would have rather had a couple of knobs. Buy some knobs. Honda, put them in. There was a decent-sized glove compartment, well-placed cup holders, bin, center console. The rear seat is comfortable for two, uh, with plenty of head and leg room. The trunk is decent size, but the battery pack takes up some room. Overall, there's about 13 cubic feet of trunk space. Uh, you know, it's about the same for other mid-sized cars. Um, the rear seats don't fold. There's no pass-through for longer items. The bottom line is the Accord is celebrating its 40th anniversary uh, this year, and this latest Accord may be the best yet, although even though there are a few nits to pick, the combination of outstanding fuel economy, roomy interior, and well-executed driving dynamics, and top-class safety performance make the Accord a top pick. It seats five, uses regular gas, great fuel economy, five-star crash test, base price $30,440, no air compressor. I mean, no spare tire, just an air compressor. I bet Paul Sullivan's in the studio going, where is he? No, no. You know what I'm. You know what I'm thinking about. What? When you um when you do that when you you're reading that obviously. But did you write it? Yes. So you wrote there were a few nits to pick. I did. You wrote that. I did. Good job. Is that bad? No, Is it's that bad? very. No. It, it 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 evokes great imagery, I think. And then you called it a top pick, so that must have been a nitty pick. It was actually, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. I I like yeah. the way you write. You're a good writer. Um, well, thank you. I, I I write. I never really consider myself a writer. But. but but one who writes is, by definition, a writer. Yeah, and one who talks on a cell phone for 90 minutes. <laughs> Does that make me a broadcaster? What are you on a cell phone? What, don't you have a landline where you are? No. Oh, no? No. Here it's, no. So in, in, no. Many, in many ways, like, for example, the touchscreen you don't like, you probably yeah. were the last one to give up your buggy whip, too, right? Uh, so. I, I was, you know, and I haven't used the word buggy whip in a while, <laughs> but um, the last time I did, I talked to somebody who was much younger than me, and they're like, what the heck's a buggy whip? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Karen, said, Karen doesn't know I, what we're talking about. Yeah, I said, I said good, thing you don't, good thing you're not a buggy whip salesman. You'd be, yeah, you wouldn't be making any money. Exactly. But yeah. uh, having said that, now, ironically and paradoxically, uh, you were the last one to give up the buggy whip. You like knobs better than touchscreen, but um, you're, you're very technologically, um, you know, connected. You're good uh, at that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, every once in a while I have to teach a 19-year-old something, which is always, which always makes me feel better. But the thing about it is I think you're, having said all that, you're right on the touchscreen technology. Sometimes it is ergonomically better and uh, physiologically better to actually touch something and manipulate it than 
Because you know, I want to I want to control the things in the car essentially by braille. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to steer down the road, yep. reach over and touch the tuning knob, the air conditioner, the volume knob, and I don't want to have to take my eyes off the road. But you're okay with automatic windows. I am. <laughs> I am. Yeah, automatic transmission. You don't like those windows. crank things that we used yeah. to do. When no, you're... no, and and I'm a big fan of keep the keys in your pocket and walk up and have the car recognize you and push the start button and drive away. I like that too. But but you know some of the other stuff I find a bit frustrating. Yeah. Hey, you're talking about heated seats. Are there cool seats too? There are. There, there are. are. There are two. There are two kinds. There are one that are ventilated, yeah. which actually has a little fan. Okay. And there are one that actually – have you ever seen those uh, coolers that you can plug into a car cigarette lighter and it can either warm the stuff in your cooler or cool the stuff in your cooler? No, but I'm not surprised they exist. Yeah. 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 Well, they have the same technology for the car. And it is, it is weird to sit on a seat and push the cool button and all of a sudden feel like you're, you just suddenly sat on a big ice cube. <laughs> it's sort of it's – sort of, um, I, I don't like it myself. Oh, really? There I, were like three days in the whole year around here that that would be effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not all that necessary. So. Maybe Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. All right, you got to go. Where are you? Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm in a bunker in an undisclosed location? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, there exactly, you go. Yeah. All right, yeah. I get all right. it. All right. <laughs> See ya. Yeah. The best in Irish music with Paul Sullivan and the Irish Hip Parade coming up next. Until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, and be good to your car. Take care. Bye-bye.